Right, I think I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Cool. Let's rock and roll. Welcome to the Bearded Fan Podcast. I am Andrew, and thanks for joining me on this episode. In this week's episode, I chat to Rick Treweek from Eden Labs. We talk about where his creative journey began and how it has got him to where he is now, running a company that's focusing on virtual reality. Well, here we are, episode 30 of the podcast, episode 4 for 2020. So I'm interested to know how are you guys enjoying the podcast uh, episodes being released every week now? If you've got any thoughts on that, let me know. Uh, talking about feedback, uh, I recently I've received some really good feedback from you guys. Um, I just want to say thanks very much for that feedback. It's uh, always appreciated and very valuable in terms of uh, improving the podcast. You know, I've also put out some questions on Instagram stories, things like what podcast apps are you using? What's the ideal podcast length in terms of duration? Um, and I just wanted to say thanks for participating. And you guys all know who you are because I sent you a personal thank you message and I really appreciate or appreciate your feedback. Another thank you obviously goes out to you. Yes, you, the podcast listener. Um, thanks for downloading or streaming each episode. And um, if you would like to continue supporting the podcast, all you need to do is just continue listening, rate and review on Apple Podcasts and uh, please share with your friends if you think it's worth sharing. Yeah, share the, share the podcast. Okay, so on to this week's episode. This uh, episode is not the usual uh, tattooed biker episode, but it's more a craft-related one. Um, I caught up with a friend of mine, Rick, um, from Eden Labs. Rick and I have been friends for some years now. Uh, we met back in 2014 when I got into uh, 3D printing. And Rick is just one of those guys who's always pushing the boundaries. What I love about it is that uh, once he's learned all the stuff, he then goes and shares it with his peers. So over the last couple of years, I've learned quite a lot from Rick. And that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to sit down and have a chat with him and find out what he's up to. So here's my chat with Rick. Just chatting about, um, about where, where you guys are at now with Eden Labs. Mm. And we were obviously talking about how, how we met back, back in the day when uh, I got into 3D printing. Yeah. Um, but uh, just maybe tell us how you got into 3D printing. You spent some time in Singapore. and Yeah, so um, it's all, all kind of... Uh, I think a lot of what I do is exploring the unknown, especially when it comes to technology and things like that. So it's always, it's never been really a, cool, this is my plan, I'm going to get into this piece of tech. It's always been uh, kind of unearthing something that really kind of confuses me at first. It's that, this, what is this? You know, what's the purpose of this? What's the future of this? And um, that's always kind of led me into tech. And I think for me, it kind of always starts with... Uh, always has started through my artistic upbringing, I think. My parents being artists, my grandmother being an artist. I've always had a fascination with uh, character design and creating characters. And I'd say that was kind of the beginning of my adult journey into tech was um, this kind of goal of how close can I get to bringing a character to life? And that led me into animation, which was the kind of first step. And after that, it was, you know, game design had just started coming out as a as a thing. Mobile games back then was, you know, people laughed at us when we told them we made games on phones because they were like, well, it's a phone. It's, you know, it's for, it's for making phone calls. But um, games was kind of the thing seeing, wow, I can bring my character to life with animation and it's a way to actually give a brain to the character. So, you know, it was always this kind of quest of mine to how close can I bring one of my own creations to life? And that ended up a long journey into developing mobile games. Um, and that took us to Singapore because back then, like I say, we were developing for Nokia Symbian phones. And this is way back in the day, you know, 
color screen phones had just come out and gaming was just not a thing. Um, and we were invited to a few talks and the last one being in Singapore. And there already there was a kind of booming little mobile games industry. So ended up there doing a, a project and uh, that project went into a three-month project, into a five-month project, eventually scaled to a year's project. It's because it was very new and exciting. So over there, there were some big brands and big clients that were interested in taking these kind of risks and being the first to market. Um, and then through that journey, I think, with, with 3D printing, again, uh, the because the replicator, MakerBot replicator had just come out, and it was the first... I think it was the second 3D printer kind of out there. Um, same time as Ultimaker, those old laser cut wooden machines. I always like to say we're back in, you know, into 3D printing when they were still made out of wood. <laughs> and I think again, it was that unknown, you know, it's like the, I remember the, the image of MakerBot quite clearly being this wooden machine and next to it, these plastic toys. And me being into character design and things like that, obviously, again, it was like, wow, I can I can now actually bring my characters into the real world as yeah, opposed to just nice. being this digital um, kind of digital thing that exists only behind a screen. And because I had been, you know, so involved with game design and character design, I knew a lot of software. So not 3D software at that stage, but just 2D software and digital tools, DTP tools. Um, but then again, it was that kind of curiosity of like, I oh, don't really know what a 3D printer is going to be used for, but it just sounds so fascinating. So cool, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> cool like I got to get one. And I think, you know, like like anything, I, I got the printer and very quickly after my first, I think it came with a little shock file. And after that first thing, it was like, that's the last time I'll probably ever print something that I didn't make myself. So... I didn't understand 3D back then because um, I was always a 2D nuts. I really believe in 2D graphics and games and things like that. So having the 3D printer there was an, an incredible driving force to teach myself how to use 3D. Um, and that's how I got into it. It was, again, just for, you know, I'd do a lot of weird little characters and just yeah. just odd little oddities that I could, you know, bring into the real world. And the exciting thing about it, I used to make things out of clay but once one thing was made, if you wanted to replicate it, it, it was a different process. And what I loved about printing is once I had a character that I really loved, just I could print it again in another color or, you know, tweak it a bit and change Upsize it. Upsize it, downsize it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of the journey into the whole yeah. 3D printing side of things. And then, you know, along the way, you um, was it one of your games that you that you guys had developed that – as you went through the levels, you would get a, a STL file yeah. for one of the characters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's quite cool. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So, so we were, um, back then, uh, one of our franchises was called World of Rabbit. Um, and we thought it would be a great idea. You know, merchandise has always been the thing with games. And obviously, I was so into 3D printing there. I was like, how can I use the, you know, the 3D printing as part of this? So it was, we had this little Wheel of Fortune game within our game where you could spin this wheel and win prizes and um, each level had a specific toy that you could actually win and once you won it you could download it and um, send it to your MakerBot through back then MakerBot had just released a little API yeah um, and we were like cool so now you can win it and then unlock it and um, obviously again it's that cool thing to do nice to have but when you look in terms of you know how many people had a 3D printer, print at the how time, many yeah. people were into games, and how many people were into games and weird characters, but still, I think you know seeing seeing characters being printed from our game just absolutely it's like teleportation. You know, yeah, you, sure. you suddenly see your character appearing on Thingiverse throughout the world, and the driving force behind that was a, a little simple Nokia game which was yeah, pretty yeah exciting. it's quite amazing you're talking earlier on about your um the toys that you used to make which was trobok toys mm. and uh i remember you having a discussion with someone and you were talk you were almost drawing an analogy to mp3s yeah just tell us about that yeah so, so i think back then i was you know i was really exploring like i think anyone with a 3d printer at first like how how do you monetize something like this um like it's great it's, it's an amazing tool i think you you as a user of 3D printing really see the huge potential. So I've always been into kind of toy collection and, and I don't mean like kids toys, like, you know, um, like the vinyl culture of, you know, people collect toys as artworks and kind of, I had this idea of like, you know, 
why not treat toys like mp3s with 3d back then it was like every single house is going to have a 3d printer in their kitchen you know and i yeah. think that was a a great idealistic dream of what 3d printing might become so i wanted to create like the mp3 of toys so develop this little brand called trobok and people could purchase for a dollar or two the digital files and then 3d print their own characters yeah um, and obviously completely you know my kind of terms and service where like you can do whatever you want with it as long as you don't print and sell it as exactly as it is yes. so i wanted to almost push people to be creative as well so it was really again amazing seeing all these different collections and characters coming out that people have have paid for and i think you know it's not like thousands and thousands of purchases were made but it was there was a moment there where i think of 3d printing really took off as much as we had hoped you know mm. the fact that i'd be out somewhere and just get a notification of paypal for a you know two dollar three dollar purchase there, there's something there was fascinating because i didn't have to ship anything i didn't have to speak to anyone i didn't have to so I, the whole idea was how autonomous can i make the store and yeah and i must have had maybe 20 characters up there and ugh, really didn't make much but i think the the core concept was still there. yeah yeah still exactly think, yeah you know you're starting to see um quite a few people follow a similar model i think on the the bigger sites as well and i think people are starting to to generate quite a lot of interest um yeah for me it was always you know i was very interested in my own characters and they are pretty dark and and mysterious mm. so um yeah i was always always just curious to see the response and what people would do with them yeah um, sure well but i mean we used to hang around quite a bit back in those days before you got busy with what you're busy with now um and i mean i was always amazed at your sort of creative process that you would yeah well i mean i'd like to believe i'm a little bit creative but i mean the way that you worked is you would see something and you would have an idea in your head i can remember with your with the 3d scanner you had the i don't know the tail end of a rocket or something mm, mm. and then you oh let me scan this and then you create a character yeah. that's coming out of that and you just 3d printed yeah, you know? yeah, yeah and then also i was th uh, i was thinking about it the other day those little match bots that you made yeah which yeah, is so yeah. cool i still i still love them and the you know the I, the thing is that you could come up with an idea in the morning you could design it print it yeah create a mold for it and by the end of the day you could be casting yeah casting yeah, them yeah you know cold casting them yeah. yeah i think and, and again i think you know the with 3d printing in particular it it draws people back to using their hands again and i think it's almost like the promise of 3d printing like wow this machine can make things for you in reality it's a, it does that but also it really kind of inspires and drives you to then go back to traditional techniques you know yeah. the amount of times i've been sitting in our workshop here sanding 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 you know we're a tech company and yet go in the back room there and you'll see sandpaper and paints <laughs> and you know you mentioned making molds like a lot of these things i'd always heard about and i was really curious about but it really took 3d printing as a, a kind of futuristic tech to then kind of forced me to go back to more traditional True, approaches yeah. um so yeah i mean it's a great tool and yeah still still print every day um yeah um yeah so yeah because i was chatting to a guy at work the other day and he was telling me about his son loves to make um characters out of clay yeah. and then i was telling him the story about you and also you started with clay and i was saying to him probably one of the best things you could get for him is a 3d printer yeah and then like you say he'll be then like forced or will want to go and learn how to mold absolutely in in or model in 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 a clay product like say zbrush or something yeah be able to print it and then be able to as a kid maybe create some molds start casting them and start selling them to his buddies yeah. or that kind of stuff and you, like you say i mean you could create a little collection of characters and you can make you know yeah it's yeah. just you know i was saying like you know back in my day we had lego and that's yeah. where our creative processes Absolutely. were yeah. and also and like world building i think very you know very similar when we were kids having lego it was was that one tool that it was a bunch of bricks but using your imagination you could turn it into something and i think 3d printing is it doesn't have that tangibility in the initial states but yeah. that moment when you've conceptualized something in your head you see it on a screen that first moment out off the print bed in your hands mm. i mean i think every single person with a 3d printer has that kind of like oh my god yeah. you know it's just <laughs> it it really is this it, it's still 
blows me away every day. I get a you know a super successful print and still one of my most favorite things is is leaving a print overnight and coming back it it really is like you know a gift every morning from yeah, provided it, it, it printed provided it, it printed, printed it can properly. also start a start <laughs> you on a bad day yeah, <laughs> as we all know yeah yeah and then thinking back to um what was the name of that building that you, so how did you get into into the stuff you now like the whole um ar so I think like VR. Um, yeah, after coming from back from Singapore, I was I was really you know, one of the big reasons I came back was um it's kind of the birth of the maker movement back then and there was this whole, you know, the maker culture, maker movement, like this is incredible and quite often I was, you know, naturally I had found my space kind of dead center in the maker movement just by my nature of, you know, using the 3D printers and uh being a bit of an artist and a craftsman and a big part of the maker movement was this kind of education and this concept of like wow you know we, we can take these tools and if we teach someone else um that can create business not about you know going and and like the traditional method of doing this doing this get a degree and then you'll get a job um you know in my opinion that's quite old school whereas now it's it's really about finding that passion and there's tools and uh, machines out there that can really kind of propel you into that space so coming back to you know being in singapore at the end i was like oh imagine kind of the maker movement in in south africa you know how imagine how much change we can make imagine so always a bit of this kind of wanting to to make a difference and coming back um, it was kind of a choice like man i want to come back and started up this company called African Robot back then and really kind of wanted to showcase uh 3D printing really bring the maker culture into South Africa and um at you know literally the first couple of of months being back uh, I managed to get some space in Maboneng um in the Museum of African Design they gave us a uh, space there for my little studio and then prof barry um came up and he he was just mentioning you know like he had this dream about the timolohong precinct like the future of tech and very much still to this day you know very much aligned with with prof and and his kind of vision of this whole whole precinct so kind of moved shop across there along with the other kind of core techies and this is before the precinct even had internet and you know we were like first guns blazing in there and kind of just through those years started doing a lot of work through African Robot and uh started doing a bunch of workshops started getting a bit of a maker community going and obviously already being a, a big existing maker community here in South Africa which which is amazing because it is kind of like a family i think coming back and immediately having almost like a a club that you could join where you have like-minded tinkerers and players um so started doing that and i think you know where where it really pivoted again for me was um was trying vr again it was um an old business partner of mine um from singapore days he was the programmer um for all our games he came up for a weekend and we were like as we always do we're like hey let's just do something fun this weekend what's completely different so managed to get a little google cardboard and Again, like two days, you know, we've been game developers for 15, 16 years now. So quite quickly, we built a little concept um, of World of Rabbits in VR on a Google Cardboard. And again, just that kind of moment of like, okay, wait a second, what's what's actually going on here? You know, this is this is incredible. Like, you can't really see that exact point of where it's going, but you can you can really feel, feel yeah. you can feel that there's something there. And I think. You know, for me, it was a, a not a big jump at all because I was a mobile developer. Because I've been a game developer for so long, it I didn't need to really learn that much. It was more just uh, kind of going back. You know, I always think about when we were developing games on Nokia. We used to have to develop an entire game under 500 kilobytes, which was just, <laughs> I mean, insane. And I think v, mobile VR in particular is. Um, kind of similar in that space and where you got to really dial back your graphics and you got to you got to have an understanding of low performance um so yeah for for me it was quite an easy step to be like okay let's you know this is i've been doing games i love doing games i've always 
being a kind of digital artist and now this new tool, I can feel there's something so magical about it. And I think something that really kind of solidified it for me was when I used Oculus Medium in kind of big VR. When I say big VR, that's a VR headset that's chained to your PC. So it's using the entire brain of your PC as opposed to a mobile headset that's just, uh, you know, basically just a the mobile phone. phone yeah. Yeah. So jumping inside of Oculus Medium, um, you know, I've been building in ZBrush for just since I started 3D printing. And again, the first kind of pivotal point of creating in virtual reality and just the unbelievable speed in which I can think as opposed to traditional CAD programs, that really kind of sunk in. And I think quite often when people are like, oh, you know, VR is just a fad, like, like clearly they've never drawn in VR or clearly they've never, you know, the content creation tools in VR, what's happening with Quill at the moment in terms of animation and things like that. It's, it's just unreal. It really is bringing, it's bringing quite high level tech into hands of people that aren't technical as well. And we see that on our Friday sessions, which we can chat about, but it's more, you know, a lot of artists are like, I'm not technical. I've tried 3D programs before and it's not my thing. And within 10 minutes, they're in VR sculpting 3D sculptures that then, you know, you could 3D print, you could put into VR, you could put into AR. Um, so again, it's kind of leapfrogging in a kind of little microcosm, like leapfrogging artists into the digital domain where, mm. Previous to this, it's you know it's a one two year kind of learning curve on a lot of these CAD programs, which which is quite a task, I think. Yeah, but something you just mentioned there about um, you know maybe VR and AR being a fad. Well, we've seen it with three D movies; they've yeah. come and gone over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, okay, they're back again now, um, but it doesn't seem that doesn't seem to be the case now with VR and AR as it is at the moment. Yeah, because I mean, you guys are starting to do some serious stuff in that. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, what was the first sort of project that you did um, in VR, other than the World of Rabbit thing? Yeah. Uh, you know, that started generating some, let's say, some revenue that we you could see that you could turn this into a business. Yeah. So I think it was that kind of um, real real excitement of of virtual reality, right? So so it was this cons and and. It, it's quite addictive. Like a lot of people that saw what we had done had that same feeling of like, wow, what is this? It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, um, at that stage, we were based in Simola Hong. Um, myself and Gareth Steele created, uh, um, uh, quite a few projects together. And because of our proximity and the relationship Simola Hong had with IBM Research, we managed to do a, f a project for them. And IBM Research were, we're amazing at taking that first step of like into the unknown and you know it's not giant budgets by any means but it was the first time like wow here's people that are actually willing to part with cash to create projects and i think for something like that it was a great showcase because at the time it was really kind of first of its kind and i think to be working with ibm research in, in an environment where they also showing the kind of latest and greatest was an, an amazing opportunity. Um, but a lot of the projects that happened there were always kind of internal projects, personal projects that, um, you know, like creating a World of Rabbit headset um, out of a 3D printer and putting a handle on it for kids at shows. And so a lot of a lot of the bigger kind of picture stuff happened purely out of, again, the love for it and the, the curiosity. Um, mm. The problem, I think, with, with the corporate kind of landscape back then is people really did want innovation. And um, I think IBM did completely innovate. They were, you know, first first kind of taking the risk, um, trying these new things. But after that, a lot of it became like, you know, that people would see what we had done for IBM and they were like, we want something brand new, but like that. <laughs> and, and it was great. And, it, you know, I think cash did come in, but it was... It was an extremely hard thing to monetize at that point as, you know, the amount of education you needed to to go into with a client was just, you know, we'd spend countless hours in meetings trying to even explain what virtual reality is and what augmented reality is. Yeah. That, but 
by the time I needed to get sold up the chain, it's completely broken telephone. And then we'd have to go repitch that same thing to the next person up the chain, so on and so forth. So yeah. by the time we actually got into kind of sign contract uh, projects, it was, you know, in terms of a business sense, it was a huge, huge amount of work. Yeah. Um, but I think that is that is one of the, uh, the, the challenges with all, you know, with emerging technology like this. And we'll, you'll remember like with 3D printing, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to explain to someone what 3D printing Absolutely, is. Okay, yeah. how does it work? But how do you get the file? Uh, yeah. Where does the file, you know? So there's a lot of education. And, and uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, uh, and I suppose when you, they're at, wanting to be at the cutting edges, that's like part of part of the process Absolutely, is, yeah. is, is teaching people that. And, you know, with, with VR, and I mean, I felt it for myself because, yeah, I've been in a 3D movie. But until you've put that headset on, and watch some sort of demonstration like you know you know like the samsung headset or whatever you don't actually appreciate what actually happens when you yeah. put yourself into that virtual world because i mean it blew my mind yeah. the first time and impossible to explain to you exactly yeah. exactly and i mean i did a like a tech day at work the one day and i took my 3d printer in and i took my you know the the kinetic you know, to yeah. do the scanning. And then I also took my uh, VR headset in. Yeah. And, I mean, people were blown away. I mean, the most interesting thing was the headset because, like, I did one of those demos, you know, in the Oculus store or whatever. And people were just, like, amazed. Yeah. You know, especially when someone comes up yeah, close to you, you yeah. actually feel like someone's just violated your personal yeah, space, yeah, you know. And no, you can't explain that to yeah. someone. You say, oh, no, the guy comes cl close and you feel a bit weird. Until they put it on yeah. and see it, yeah. 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 No, absolutely impossible. And I think, you know, again, for us, you know, when, like, a, a kind of big, big pivotal moment was um, meeting uh, my current partner in the business, Derek White, where we, we both share a huge passion for art and creation and technology. And eventually, you know, we were chatting years, for a couple of years, just like, you know, come on, how do we, how do, we do something together? And eventually we were like, you know, let's let's put it where it matters. Let's let's create art with technology and put it in the public domain. And I think that was probably the fundamental kind of pivotal point as to where we have gone now. Because I think in enabling us to play within a space that is purely publicly facing, meaning that you know, at an exhibition, you can have people that are technical there. You can have people that have never used a computer in their life there. You can have kids there. You can have, so, so this this whole concept of like what a perfect testing ground for a technology like virtual reality in a public facing environment. Um, started putting on a lot of these shows, and <clears throat> the first big kind of show was with Mary Sabande, and you know we really kind of pulled pulled the the big things in that project is trying a whole bunch of things from 3D scanning Mary to then 3D printing her face, putting the VR headsets inside there. Again, not just to make it different is because I think as South Africans, the general public have this kind of innate fear of technology. So a big part of that show was like, how do we make a super tech show um, but remove the technology from it so people don't feel a bit scared to to engage? So the fact that we had these headsets inside these sculptural forms of Mary's face, people just naturally were drawn to them and would naturally use them. And many, many people, it was the first time they had tried VR. And what it taught us as a tech company is, man, there's all these kind of pain points that that kind of tech uh, requires, you know? So how do you keep headsets charged? How do you, how do you maintain... Um, you know, usability, how do you get rid of certain splash screens? And and again, just by having these shows on display and having a place for us to really play that's more forgiving than a corporate environment is a fundamental kind of point of emerging tech because, yeah. you know, artists are just amazing. A, they, they ask hard questions. B, they not scared to try things new. C, if something doesn't work as exactly how it's supposed to work, it can be uh, a blessing. And then what What are you guys up to now? Because, I mean, you've moved around a bit. You've up upgraded your building that you were, were yeah. in. Yeah. So, so Eden, we're still, we're still very much involved. Um, you know, we like to keep our, our pulse on the, the art world. Uh, we still, you know, fun, fundamentally my kind of beliefs in, in that tech can 
save us, um, that tech technology within Africa can be a, a big thing. You've always heard about the kind of, you know, digital kind of revolution that might happen, I think. So a lot of things to get past there, but just on a technical level, VR is making it possible for non-technical people to consume content, which just in its own right is absolutely amazing. So we're still working a lot within the art space, but based off everything we've learned in those kind of last two years, we completely understand the 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 kind of barriers to entry that virtual reality still have in enterprise and in the corporate world. And that's from little things like, now, if someone's never used a headset before and they pick it up, A, they might be a bit scared. B, they don't know how to charge it afterwards. C, they don't know how to turn it on because a lot of like your consumer-facing headsets, if, you, if it's been sitting and you pick it up, it will require you to press a button on a controller, which sounds simple, but for someone that's never used it before in your general public, they'll pick it up, nothing will happen, they'll put it straight back down. Yeah, right. So through doing all these kind of projects and these public-facing experiences, um, also the Lost Botanist, um, kind of putting on a show around the world on that, seeing the kind of um, those pain points, we, we've kind of put our heads together, we've scaled our team up, and we're developing what we really believe is a solution to that public-facing um, problem with VR, and that's, you know, to, re to really try and make VR easy in terms of general public. You know, we're not yeah. trying to... This version, what we're doing now, isn't by any means the Oculus Medium, the giant uh, full VR. It's more for kind of, as you can imagine, the environments we've been in, like exhibition spaces, like natural history museums, like, you know, we did Origin Center project a while ago. The project was phenomenal. But where it fell down again is you kind of needed someone in the team to be technical when something happened. And yeah. unfortunately with tech, there's always going to be that moment. Um, so... You know, we're really trying to remove all of that. So to be able to create a product that you can literally put on a, a shelf, whether it's in a gallery, an aquarium, whatever, that someone who's never used it before can pick it up, engage with it, and um, actually enjoy VR. Because like I think a lot of us, it, it took that small little, you know, snacking into the VR world to kind of really see that like, wow, this is this is huge, you know. And I think... It's a complete missed opportunity where currently VR is very much within the gamer and the techie space. And for it to really get the mass adoption and to really kind of thrive, we need it to get out of that zone. But I think, you know, what's happening in the last year, like Half-Life is an example, you know. People have been waiting for the Half-Life game for 15 years or something now. And for them to choose to release a VR-only version, I mean, that... That was an amazing kind of week because you, you're expecting a lot of like, you know, the typical gamer like, you know, this is, how dare you, this is, but it actually kind of flipped and people okay. were like, wait a second, VR, like Half-Life's launching on VR. Suddenly VR headsets, went, sales went through the roof. I think the Valve Index um, who created the Half-Life, you know, that um, kind of just snowballed and all the headsets started getting purchased and so these little moments of like you know almost champion kind of franchises when they start adopting it again it's just within the gaming industry but it's tech. but often there's often there's an like one particular industry that actually pushes the boundaries with something like that and then the mass adoption tends to come yeah. after that right yeah. yeah 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 and i think you know again it's 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 kind of the, the killer app if you look at, you know, I was mentioning earlier about when we moved to, to Singapore, one of the things was like, you know, we were in South Africa trying to pitch that we make mobile games and apps for phones. But just the mindset of the general public was like, that's stupid. Like, <laughs> phones are for calling people and yeah. messages. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Whereas now, if you, you know, like it, it took those kind of killer apps and killer games like Angry Birds, all of, you know, these yeah, kind of absolutely. games where it took it from a niche into absolute mass adoption very quickly. Yeah. I think with VR and things, it's, it's also a, a, a cost of the technology, which again, it's expensive, you know, as, as, uh, for a lot of people getting it in getting into it but again those are costs that just get cheaper and cheaper as the as the technology yeah, progresses yeah and as more more people adopt the technology yeah yeah absolutely. 
Absolutely. So um, just give us a little bit more detail about the lost bo- uh, botanist and mm. you said the, also the Origin Center. Yeah, yeah. So so the Origin Center was another project uh, we did, um, sure, when we were still at Simolochong, back on the Samsung Gear VR days. Um, so there actually Prof Barry, um, I think he, f- he funded the project because he just really saw how VR could be used in some in an industry like that. So we worked with the um, Origin Center and created a, a, an experience where you could browse a lot of the the kind of stories and stuff within in in that environment, but digitally. Mm. And again, there were these moments. You know, on the launch day, we had uh, we had a family come in, the very first family that came in with two kids, and the kids went nuts for the VR headsets. And I think it was the the shop manager was like, they've never seen kids like just so crazy and excited. Yeah. And I mean, that is fundamental in terms of like, if you've got a kid feeling excited about something, they, they've become a sponge there. And then so, yeah. so it's really, and then also the the chief tour guide of the Origin Center viewed, viewed it. We've still got a photo. It's probably one of our best photos we've ever taken. And he's in the VR experience. Again, we add our handles to the VR just to make it easy to get in and out of. And he's just laughing, like bellowing, laughing, holding his stomach. And everyone, we were just like, this is fascinating. <laughs> and when, when he took it off, he's like, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years. And it's almost like what I try and explain to everyone about this. There's this world that exists around you that's, that's almost you can tap into. Like you guys have shown that. And I think, again, it shows the power of virtual reality. Yes. Um, the Lost Botanist was a very kind of special project to us. There was a project between ourselves, Eden, and uh, my sister's animation studio, Tulips and Chimneys. Um, we wanted, me and my sister have always wanted to work together. And I think being brother and sister, we were like, yeah, one day, one day. Um, and again, with VR, it brought that absolute perfect opportunity. It was like, you know, he has a piece of tech that me being the brother and the techies always just being like, I'll figure stuff out. My sister being that incredible detail artist, we were like, wow, this is, he has a perfect platform to collaborate. Um, again, though, we wanted to, we always want to try something different because it's a way to really learn. So we were like, let's create a virtual reality experience using only 2D art, um, which for those who know VR, you know, it's very much a 3D world. It's about, so, just that that initial starting point of like we are banning ourselves from using 3D elements was like you know a lot mm. of VR people are like what are you doing this is yeah you know, this You're is like not, going backwards yeah <laughs> like what's 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 but it was it, you know a lot of it was done for certain reasons like my sister's artwork is just so incredibly detailed that you know to to replicate that in 3D is going to be absolutely tricky and you know we really wanted people to look at the art so a lot of the the concept of it was looking for things in the garden. So you were forced to really look at the environment around you. Um, old collaborator of mine, a very talented human, Marcus Smith, he, he joined on the, pro- the project. He did a lot of the story writing and uh, produced the original score. Um, and it was kind of like a, a bit of a reunion of, uh, you know, I used to work with Marcus on a lot of our old school button games and my sister's always worked with Marcus. So it felt like a bit of a reunion, but now having the talent of two teams as opposed to individuals was just fascinating. So yeah, it's created great. this little project um, as an internal kind of, can we do it? What happens, you know? Mm. And it, just it did incredibly well. We were invited into competition at Annecy International Film Festival, um, being the first VR film from Africa, which was super exciting. Um, currently, sure, we, it's going kind of all over the place, being being shown. And again, we we like to not just put it on a headset. We you know in VR created and sculpted our own cases that looked all fantasy. So you know we had an exhibit at Comic Con and. I think the official numbers were something like 72,000 people went through the door at Comic-Con. And yeah. our stand, Comic-Con, were just amazing. They gave us an incredible space next to Nintendo. And I have never, ever seen, you know, I, I come from a comic industry, like, you know, being Comic-Con in Singapore and stuff. Uh, I was like, cool, I've heard Comic-Con is pretty big, but I just had no idea how big it's become. And it's absolutely inspiring. So showing the last botanist there, you know, we didn't just have the headsets. Our entire stand was built almost from the world. So it was okay. old furniture, old posters. So 
before people even got into the VR experience, they already feel like they've stepped into the world. Into the world, and yeah. The masks we've made that 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 drive the experience. When people see people engaging with those masks, it already starts them queuing. So it's mm. just a really fascinating space and just an amazing project to kind of showcase. Um, yeah, the mobile headsets and kind of the escapism and the just how how much you can feel you can belong in a completely different yeah, world. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's um, yeah. It's like we were saying earlier on, and you can't explain the experience to someone. No, no. And once you're in it, it's like it's almost like having a a trip of some sort, you know, because yeah. you're. It's um, amazing how your brain like gets confused yeah. Yeah. in inverted commas yeah. um, or short-circuited in a way that you actually feel like you, like, you know, sometimes you want to grab something yeah. that's yeah. in right in front of you. Yeah. Uh, I'll Absolutely. tell you a funny story. So, um, so I've got the Samsung gear headset. You've got the Netflix and the Hulu app in. Yeah. So you can sit there as if you're sitting in a cinema watching. So it's not like, yeah. you know, VR, VR, but yeah. it's, like you're sitting in the cinema and I, I, I can't remember what I was you know what I was watching but it was one of these like really graphic things like say the Punisher or whatever yeah. it was and like I tried to cover my eyes because I knew something was coming <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile I couldn't because I was yeah. sitting in the VR headset yeah. first I'd forgotten that I was sitting in the VR headset yeah. because I'd become so consumed by the by by the by the um the series episode and the fact that I forgot that I couldn't cover my eyes. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's just I anecdotal. Mean, that's the one thing when you when you try and explain it to people, I think, you know, if you just search on YouTube like VR fails and you yeah. see the <laughs> amount of people and you know, I've also done the same thing. We when we were renovating here, we we created a a, a VR version of what we were building and I had been laying out some tables and did the exact thing where I, I put my hand to rest on the table and obviously there wasn't a table, no table there, you know, and it's not, it's not like I'm saying I believe I'm in real world, but it's powerful enough for, to lapse your brain for that moment. Yeah, of, sure. Of, sure. Of saying I'm, I'm actually here. And, and again, I always, you know, I always talk about like the power of VR because it's so non-tech. It's one of the few tools where, and my friend's dad, he was visiting the other day. He's really, really old. And um, I was like, do you want to try VR? It's a game. And he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't play games. And I was like, just try. And it took a bit of convincing. Literally 30 seconds, this guy was shooting aliens for the first time in his life. <laughs> and this is someone that's terrified of computers, you know, because it really is kind of transcending that um, idea of, of the machine and the interface of, with the machine. Like I think... You know, one of our artists, um, actually, Hans, you know him very well. Mm. Um, Hans came to visit and he had such a great saying where he was talking about, you know, how, how it's almost ridiculous now, like designing for something where you're using this mouse and this flat screen where, you know, this concept grows from your brain into your arm, into the mouse, then moving the mouse into the screen. Whereas VR really feels like it's translating from that concept straight into clay. And I think okay. that's, that's an amazing amazing thing to try and conceptualize is it's no longer this you know teach someone very technically how to even get to the point of getting to create on a computer whereas vr it's a very very short process and yes. i think a lot of people forget that they like you know if someone's hasn't used a computer before it's not not like photoshop's hard it's learning how to click and move this tiny triangle that moves around the screen. Yeah. That's actually a really fundamental hard thing. And, and VR kind of, cause it's, it, it uses what we're born with sights and sound and movement. It's mm. very quickly adopted. It's a very natural, natural thing to do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And then, um, so you're concentrating mainly on VR. I mean, what about the augmented reality? You've done some stuff with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done a bunch and, you know, there, there's a kind of term like people put all of this kind of under XR now, um, where it's AR, VR, yeah. uh, you've got mixed reality, you've got all yeah. these things. So they, even though they are quite fundamentally different, the the culture, the the development environments of these things are quite similar. So we've done a bunch of of AR projects. Really, you know love what we be, we've been creating, but for us, you know, VR at the moment is still that 
it's still that that big that big thing like still every day you see the power of, of how this thing can be worked so we're very much focused now on launching the snacker which is what we call our, our vr product okay and everything we're doing is kind of arrowheading that forward um, and propelling that forward that being said though it's because they're such similar families it's very easy for us to work off both technologies um did some projects in the past where it was you know gareth was wearing a vr headset and he would hold up an ipad and then look at gary through the ipad and then that would augment what he's seeing on the outside so okay i think there's a lot of cross kind <laughs> of um things that can happen but but for me right now i still think vr just in terms of how immersive it is is, yeah. is really i think ar is fantastic but i my belief is the future of ar is wearables and i just think the tech isn't there yet i think mm. another at least five years before we start seeing real real immersive wearables yeah so you've played with yeah. the microsoft hololens what's your experience with that in terms of augmented reality and i think it's it's one again it's one of those tools that the first time up at the hololens was i was it was a holy crap moment and really yeah. you know it, it's just the tracking capabilities everything was just i mean it was it was that first moment of like wow this is incredible fortunately though going down the development trail of hololens it you know the the actual hologram part of the the hololens is quite small and you don't really get to see that unless you a developer or you unless you've actually put a hololens on because mm. when you're recording through the hololens it it puts your holograms all around the room and it feels really immersive whereas in reality when you're actually wearing these devices you've only probably got a two centimeter by one centimeter wide screen in front of you yeah so a lot of your big concepts that you think would be so incredible as an ar overlay when they cut off in this tiny little rectangle it breaks the immersion very quickly, quickly and yeah. immediately you've broken out the experience mm. so i'm i'm very excited about it i'm very but we did go through a chain of getting these kind of headsets and it's it's a, a real choice now to you know it's just not as immersive because just the tech wise we haven't managed to wrap glass and do lenses in a way that makes it really uh immersive so yeah we did a project called project hyena where we were exploring a lot of these ar concepts and how do you access um live streaming cameras and the future of hand controls and accessing arduinos and live things and that's an ar project but what we ended up doing is building the entire thing in vr because it gave us that immersive and then we'd use cameras to access the real world okay so very similar to ar it's just now we're flipping it and using cameras as the as the overlay in essence sure. as opposed sure. to digital yeah the other way around yeah yeah oh that's quite interesting i didn't mm. think of that you were talking about the future being wearables mm. some years ago google came out with their google glass yeah and they had this demo video that's possibly what the future is going to look like eventually yeah is that you know whether it's a contact lens or an implant or a spectacle kind of concept because like i always think okay cell phones you know where's it going to go because yeah. our cell phones started out big they went small and then they went big again yeah because yeah. now we want the screen and all that kind of stuff yeah do you think do you think that the those two technologies are going to converge where like the cell phone is going to become smaller again. The screen's now going to be, you know, maybe one of those Google Glass kind of concepts. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think the fundamental problem with cell phones, mobile phones, is we have to use our thumbs and our fingers to communicate with them. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's kind of counterintuitive as to what the tech and the speed in which the tech can can do things is we still back to how fast can you move your fingers where what's our fingers got to do with any of this you know so yeah i do think at some point and you're seeing it now you know the rumors with apple's glasses i'd say they're beyond a rumor now like everyone does see where it's going i think the problem or why we'll still see kind of this this thing in your pocket is the processing the brain of this yeah sure uh, you don't want a wearable that's extremely heavy and that's a lot of the issues we had with our ar wearables is just they had to put that processing and the compute power into the headset so itself it, yeah. so it felt really bulky and it mm. felt like you know didn't feel like you were wearing glasses and and i think that's 
for mass adoption, that's hugely prob- prob- problematic because you know, no one wants to walk around looking like an absolute dork. <laughs> it's yeah, just, exactly. It's just no one, no one wants that. So until until these kind of headsets have got to a point where they indistinguishable from current glasses and from mm-hmm. contact lenses i think it's we still got a long way to go but what you're starting to see now like with huawei's uh, new vr glasses that uses your you know your p30 pro as the brain and it cables up and your wearables is extremely light very small okay, form factor yeah. but still all the processing is done, done on, on, the, on a device in mm-hmm. your pocket so yeah sure uh i think we'll probably always no, I mean we we're not going to always, but at some you know it's at the current times we we need that extremely powerful brick somewhere, mm. and whether that sits on your head or sits in your pocket and makes what's on your head a lot smaller, you know that that'll I think they'll be around for a while. But I definitely already using contact lenses that are AR enabled and, okay. and things like that. Yeah, you were talking about your Friday afternoons. What what yeah. what happens on a Friday afternoon? Yeah, so the you know I mentioned we kind kind of come from the the maker culture and maker movement, and back then we were very much involved day to day with new people coming in and you know sharing kind of the knowledge we had learned, and it's just part of what I think a lot of makers feel. You know, it's like it's no longer this thing of like, oh, these are my cards and I'm holding them close to my chest. It's like, well these are my cards and hey everyone check them out like maybe you're going to create something new and feed that back to me um so kind of changing our our focus a bit and you know working so much um on what we're doing we haven't been doing a lot of of those kind of art projects anymore haven't been doing much of the kind of skill sharing as we used to do so it's fundamentally important for us to you know because we've learned so much of what we've learned through doing these gallery, these exhibitions and working with artists we we've dedicated still to do that every every friday where we invite an artist in traditional artist and we include makers under that artist umbrella we really believe makers are kind of the artists of the new century um <clears throat> so every friday our our lab basically becomes their playground for the day so they come in at 10 a.m and they just we deep dive them into everything from like volumetric video to virtual reality content creation to animation to 3d printing to electronics and very quickly we can start gauging and seeing where their interests are kind of going towards and then we'll have a kind of a quick break quick catch up and generally the artists will kind of lean towards a specific area and then for the rest of the day we'll just kind of sit with them if there's a question we'll try and solve it if they have uh if they want an example, we will work with it. So it's working with artists. It's like one day, Friday in the day. And it's it's really kind of, you know, the artists get to depart with uh, another potential tool or a whole bunch of new tools for their tool set. Um, there isn't really any kind of like, what, what are you making or what's the end product or anything like that. It's purely the journey. And again, it's just for us, we love it so much because it's, it's like clockwork. Artists arrive like, oh, I'm not technical. I don't know if I should mm. be here, you know. Yeah. Whereas that's why we want to have these is, is just to showcase how incredible these new emerging tools are. Um, you know, one of the first artists was Mbungeni and he, he popped in and very quickly he just got straight into 3D sculpting and then we took his sculpt straight to the 3D printer and just seeing that like for him like that unlocking moment of like you know if I'm going to be creating sculpture maybe it isn't about me making clay and going to a bronze foundry there are other ways and other means to do it to do it yeah. um, and you know what what we get out of this is again artists always kind of push the envelope a bit so you know, they never kind of come and ask us safe questions. It's mm-hmm. always like, can you do this absolutely ridiculous thing? And we're like, well, let's try, you know. And yeah. I think we as a tech company, especially emerging tech, it's about failure constantly. And I think, you know, you often hear that and like kind of whatever you want to call them, like, you know, failure is good. And again, mm. it's very hard to understand. Stand, yeah. I think tech is like, you know, without failure, you have nothing because absolute. And I think it's that understanding of the celebration of something not working out because what ends up happening most of the time is 
you learn something completely new that you had no idea was even on the kind of trajectory. And because you had these failures, it opens up all these unknowns again. Um, so yeah, the Friday sessions, um, you can check them out on Eden Labs Africa, things forward slash Friday sessions or art and tech. Mm. You can just go to our site. But uh, yeah, it's just constantly we, we're doing artists. We're wanting to start working a, a little bit uh, closer with artists as well. Um, we did that a lot before. And I think what what we're really trying to find now with these Friday sessions is kind of the next point of departure for those artists because what's happening now is you know people get really inspired and they're like, cool, they want to play, they want to make, they want the tools. But our next session is with a new artist and obviously in the weeks we're busy doing even mm. things. So we are looking for you know other potential spaces where if and when artists are getting so kind of bitten by the bug, there's a space for them to then go and create go and, and, do that, and yeah. things like that. Uh, I must imagine, even though um, the cost of you know the, this technology is coming down on a regular basis, I'm sure the barrier to entry is quite high financially yep. for someone like an artist who wants to use these kind of tools. I mean, is that what you're saying? Is that you want to create some spaces for them where they can come and use these tools without yeah. having to yeah. fork out large amounts of money? Ab absolutely. So, you know, for the kind of entry-level VR headsets, you know, the Oculus Go, I think they've just discontinued it now, but that was $199. I think it's dropped to $120 now. Yeah. So uh, affordable, not cheap. Um, yeah. But when you are looking at something like True VR, you know, people forget like the headset itself is about 10,000 Rand or something like that. But to run that headset, you, you need, need a computer. You need a big computer. Yeah, yeah. And a big computer like that, it's, you know, you can't use a Mac. Um, it has to be a PC. So if so, it's not something people generally have lying around unless they're a gamer because yeah. it's all about the graphics card and graphics cards are expensive, expensive and, yeah. you know, your machines. So all in all, it, it, it's quite a big investment. So I think a lot of the times, you know, quite a few artists have come here and literally ordered gear the next day because oh, right. they, they could. Um, but it would be nice to have have a space where an artist can come because quite often it is that like, you know, like my moment of the HoloLens where because it's so new and so fresh, it can, may, maybe that's what's so exciting for the artist, but they need a bit of time to kind of work out how they can use it. See, yeah. You know, a lot of um, people we have met previously are still using VR in their practices now, but some other people I think have also kind of gone back to their more traditional, but also given the lack of access, you know, there's mm. no, there's no real space in South Africa. I mean, Tomorrow Gallery and Rosebank's doing an incredible job there, <clears throat> standing for the Mixed Reality Workshop, so offering a space for artists to put on these shows. But I think what's missing is this kind of, you know, what they have in, um, they have these gaming cafes around South Africa, but the, the, the gaming crowd are quite different to the art crowd. And I think sure. what, what's really needed is, is this kind of workshop space where artists feel like they can be a bit arty and not in a you know not in a environment that's all guns blazing and, and yeah. things like that so yeah. gain access to technology guys being very competitive exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah can you tell us what project you're working on now is it a top secret <laughs> no i mean we 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 always got a quite a few things on the go i think um you know the eden snacker for us like i said is is our it's our baby it's something we're working towards something we're incredibly excited about um we've recently opened up a, a office in amsterdam um just to have that kind of sales you know that those eyeballs across the oceans because we really believe the the work that's you know coming out from south africa in terms of of just fresh tech is just absolutely incredible so um doing a lot of work on that and last botanists always kind of traveling and so much we want to do with that but you know like anything time and uh focus, time and money yeah <laughs> time and focus and money yeah. are things now but I'd say you know predominantly now for us as the eden snacker it's a hardware and a software play and um on that we are just very interested in what kind of other local 
content is out there um, yeah i think there's probably a lot of people sitting out there with a 360 camera and people that are dabbling in 360 tools like you know using blender or any of these kind of animation packages i think they might not realize that there's this big movement happening and you know for us we we kind of also on a quest to to look at you know what's out there what kind of um what other content is out there you know not just in south africa but africa as a, a whole as continent. a whole yeah. yeah we also again very much believe in that and quite a few different studios across the continent and we use the hashtag immersive africa and if you go there you'll you'll really start seeing there's this there's this movement happening now and it's it's a lot of them being artists and a lot of them you know just creating first of its kind type of films and which again it's just an incredible space because you can really feel like you paving the way forward in a brand new industry you don't have to follow rules you know you get to make your own rules which for me is always the most exciting thing yeah well that's cool rick thanks man um yeah thank you very much cool, right? appreciate it well there you go if you're a creative and have an interest in uh, vr and would like to explore the um, technology further then I would contact Rick at Eden Labs. All the details are in the show notes. I hope you found that chat interesting. Drop me a DM in the usual places. Let me know what you thought. And that, my friends, is the end. I'll catch you next time. Bye.